Welcome to the Mixed In Key podcast. Uh, this week we have a very special guest uh, alongside me, Adam, and uh, my regular co-host, Isaac. Uh, our guest today is Dan, who's my brother. Uh, he's also a very accomplished uh, sound designer and composer. He has a PhD in music composition, so we can uh, assume he knows a little bit about what he's talking about in that field. He's also uh, very into modular synthesis and sound art, sound design uh, type stuff and uh, has a has his own business that specializes in multimedia um, art installations. He might have to correct me on that. Perhaps I've got that slightly wrong. Uh, and he also works at the prestigious Guild Hall, teaching people about sound art. Is it, Dan? Uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of contextual, contextual uh, yeah, sort of narratives around different musical practices. Right. Uh, any tech I assume I haven't started there yet. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah um, that's a little bit highbrow for um, our usual um, jibber jabber on this uh, this show, but um, we are here to be educated, isn't that right, Isaac? Absolutely. I've <laughs> not really heard much of the term sound art before, and I want I want to know more. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, what does that mean, actually? Sound art tends to be things where um, the goal isn't to enjoy it as a piece of music. That's usually <laughs> the defining. It's kind of using sound, but it might be in a in a way that makes you. Uh, it could be a sort of installation, or I mean, sometimes you might go to a museum or something and hear some kind of sound happening to make you feel a certain way. But it's not really music. Okay. So it's those kind yeah. of. Things. So sound as art, like yeah. art installation, just sound sound for the artistic merit not necessarily for the musical exactly yes okay fantastic um i think that's actually very uh very relevant in some electronic spheres right now i think there's a lot of people drawing from that especially with modular synthesis mm. fm synthesis um totally yeah yeah when when we were at um in amsterdam at the dance event I did go to like an art, an art installation that was by a DJ that was really, it was purely for being in the space of the sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. He built, it was like 80 speakers that were rotating mm. and they all had different sounds in a large warehouse space. So nice. Yeah. I think there's a lot of crossover now with a lot of electronic producers are dipping their toe in this kind of sound art water. It's, it's kind of quite pleasant. Um, yeah, like Am and Toby and such are making these kind of crossovers, yeah, electronic definitely. albums and installations. Yeah, uh, John John Hopkins is also doing things like that. Um, there's a there's some quite interesting sort of techno artists. I don't know much about techno, but I'm sort of I, I usually say I don't particularly enjoy techno because it's a bit too hard for me. But there's some sort of more melodic, sort of slower, softer techno coming through now. And there's artists like the Scientist who really do just basically do what I would describe as kind of artistic explorations into sound rather than making m music and yet people are dancing to it in clubs or they were um so it's interesting we're, we're, we're at a sort of a, a blend a moment of blend i think in between sound design sound art and kind of club culture do you think this time that everybody's had for these few months um it has been good for moving this craft forward you know just being in isolation, COVID, uh, 
what, what's it doing to all this? Like, are we, are we stagnated or is that actually, are we going to come out of this hearing mm. a lot of new things? I think there's a, there's, I mean, because there's a lot uh, less onus on performing in a traditional sense, or they're certainly going to be for the next few months. I think mm-hmm. people are beginning to think a bit more what that's going to mean for their practice and what can they do. If I can't go to a club or mm. I can't go to a, to a pub and play with my band, then what can I do? Mm. And I'm hoping that that will lead to people being a bit more experimental, sort of playing around and thinking, well, okay, what if I do a multimedia installation in a town centre yeah. and I can't do a normal gig? You know, yeah. These things might be quite, quite fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, I mean, I've, I was reading about, uh, an, an acoustic artist I, or someone was telling me about it. I've forgotten. Uh, I've, I've even forgotten the artist's name. Uh, if anyone knows, do feel free to uh, chime in. But I read the recently that he had obviously moved his gigs online and he has a reasonable following. Um, and so he put up some tickets. Yeah. I think he'd done quite a lot of live streams for free, but he said, this is going to be my like 500th performance or, you know, 10th year in the business, whatever. He had some celebration, some reason for it. And he said, I'm going to charge, I'm going to do a proper gig. I'm really going to put some time into it. I'm charging £9 a ticket. And of course, £9 a ticket, maybe £15 a ticket even to see him in an actual music hall. You know, what's the capacity? Maybe 200, 500? I don't know. But he sold 125,000 tickets online, which is <laughs> just like, I mean, it, I think that that just shows that there's this kind of, there is an opportunity for elevation if you have a fan base that are willing that you know especially a global fan base because suddenly you haven't just got you haven't got a tour the whole world um in you know a hundred shows a uh, hundred shows times cost to the you know production and whatnot um you know perhaps there's opportunities to kind of harness that and just do that all uh in a you know um well online really uh without you know, I, well, you can see the opportunity. I'm tired. My words aren't coming out very well today. But um, yeah, there's, there's, there's interesting opportunities like that that people are starting to, to tap into. Um, but I think I wonder if Isaac was asking what he thinks might happen in terms of the actual, comp- the, like the, the art itself. Like, is it going to change the sounds that people want to come up with? Is it going to change? Perhaps people aren't going to, for example, do you think it's possible people are, who are traditionally making music for people to dance to might start thinking, well, I don't know when the clubs are going to open again. Perhaps I'll make that ambient record I've, I've been dreaming of doing. Yeah, I mean, I think, think without doubt, people are going to have to adapt in that way. And, you know, as you say, if clubs aren't open, they're going to, they're, they're, there's going to be a, a degree of people who are going to want to try something else and explore different creative outlets. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think the flip side of that, you know, the, the sort of negative side, of course, is that a lot of people who were working as artists now simply can't well so i think yeah. there's going to be another kind of change where you get a lot of hobbyists who've now got the time to do music yeah their lives and a lot of professional musicians who no longer have the time to be a professional musician because right. yeah you know, all these things will play into the mix yeah yeah i'm seeing people that were touring big musicians now giving lessons online yeah right you know 100 bucks an hour or something like that and and you know people are just taking all their lessons because they would never have access to these people yeah. normally yeah yeah because they're always touring and then and then you're right a hobbyist may be releasing stuff i can't help but think um i can't help but think that it's a creative time i can't help but but yeah. have some faith and belief and positivity that new good stuff is going to come out of this it's um it's a trying time for everybody and that's where art comes from yeah it does know, it does yeah life experience art responds to difficulty um when everything is 
rosy in your life. I mean, I remember an interview with Dizzy Rascal um, just as he was kind of at his peak fame and somebody asked him what, it, what, what he writes his songs about um, now and he was like, well, to be honest, when I wrote the, the, the big album, Boy in the Corner, that, that, that it got, you know, ex- exploded my career... I had nothing. I wrote it on a on, on a, a PlayStation. I had absolutely n- no money, no really prospects of of a you know. I was in the you know working class London high rise street kind of culture. Um, a lot of deprivation. I had a lot to write about, and now I've got loads of money. Anything I want, private jets to and from LA and what and whatnot. And it is difficult to come up. So you know what I'm saying yeah. is that obviously this is a time of struggle for a lot of people. So I think it's going to be amazing to see what comes out. Yeah, I think it could be very positive in that way. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea of the starving artist is that kind of ongoing uh, image <laughs> we have of that yeah. struggle being productive. Yeah. And it makes me think of, um, you know, in the, in the 90s, 2000s, there was this, this thing where a lot of record labels, all the big record labels are withholding payments to artists until after the second album came out, mm. because that way they tended to get two good albums. <laughs> right. Starving artists yeah. mentality was somewhat better. And as you say, it's when they're moneyed for album number three, it was <laughs> yeah. a bit less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was... Yeah, the sophomore slump, a way to get, get out of the sophomore yeah, slump. Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I recently released an album, and I right up until the, the, the day when I decided that I should actually probably put a sensible album title uh, onto it. I was really genuinely genuinely going to call it the difficult first album. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, so um, that went down like a lead balloon, but uh, anyway. Um, yeah, so uh, just a quick word before we kick off with the topic of today's show, which is how to become a better producer. Um, just to, I think we should have a quick word on the audio quality of today's recording because uh isaac is in an airbnb having sold his house and moving to pastures new uh so makeshift studio one uh, i am upstairs in my new studio um and which is great except it's so hot i've got all the windows open and you can probably hear children screaming uh seagulls um what, what, what noise do they do gulling uh, anyway lots of ambient noise uh, i think dan's the only one who's recording himself with any degree of clarity so well done dan um, thank you all right so um let's let's kick off um i yeah i mean it's it's a simple question how to become how do you become a better producer dan okay you know i think there's that famous quote that nobody even knows where it comes from, but you know, yeah. uh, if you borrow, you borrow, when those who borrow are pretty good, if you steal and like, make it your own, you're great. And you know, yeah. Stravinsky has a version of it and all these other people. Yeah. But my thoughts are um, imitation is how you learn. Yeah. And to the extent that when you're working as a producer, and you're working in recording and engineering and mixing and composing and arranging, take the track that you love, that you want to emulate, that you think if there's something you want to learn from, put it in your DAW, Mm. put that entire track in your DAW and make music, mute that channel, look at it, uh, you know, look at the waveforms, look Mm. at the spectrum analyzer, try and have the same feel that you're trying to get from that recording, whether it's arrangement, whether it's mixing highs, lows, spatially left, right, try and emulate those things as much as possible. Right. Cause that for me 
that's where there's things you learn. Like you learn, I learned about uh, using that max bass plugin, you know, where it's uh, yeah. the waves one and you, you take your bass and you do a subharmonic bass and then like I'd invert it and put it wide and right. stuff like that to fill up the super low on space. And I would have never learned stuff like that if it wasn't for trying to emulate and completely recreate something from scratch. Right. So yeah, uh, that's that's my number one tip for yeah. how to become a better producer is try and make something sound as good as those yeah, things you want. As some, yes, a professional grade version. Uh, I think that, that we, it's sort of we touched on an interesting part of the conversation there because uh, as soon as I said how do you become a better producer Isaac you started talking about um, what I would um, what I would probably consider uh, kind of border it like it, the traditional producer role whereas um, well, I've all, I come from uh, you know I'm not classically trained as, as we uh, discussed I'm um, came through DJing and f to me DJs and producers were the producers were just the guys who wrote the songs so there's so there's so, I think I feel like there's an, a greater emphasis on the composition than in Isaac your particular definition the traditional definition of what a producer is I think when I say that word I mean a songwriter as well it, it is there a distinction or am I imagining it I don't know if there is any more. I think, yeah. I think I think there was at some point, but I think the way it's gone now, very much those those are the same job for for most people. Right, right. I it's certainly feel that. High end studio, suddenly they're different jobs again. I think. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Majority of you're not know, even just bedroom producers, but you know people sort of tending to work in, on their own or in small bubbles. That's yeah. become very much a hybrid role. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I would say so. So really, when we're asking how to become a, a better producer, we, we there's a there's a sort of a holistic element to it. We you just being able to mix somebody else's audio very well is is a great skill to have. It's going to help you become a better producer. But what we're really talking about is also how do you you know continue to evolve artistically to write better, to compile, compose better, to arrange better. All of these things. So it's a big question. Dan, what well, yeah, I see them all as one, though. I see them all as one. And yeah, nowadays. okay, yeah. Because if you're if you're creating a beat and you're producing a beat that you're going to sell, you also have to engineer it, mix yeah, it, you do. and you sell it as something as a finished product. Um, and so it, it can be all in one. It can be just a segment of it. Yeah. But um, nowadays, at least, you know, the producer, at least in my mindset, you know, you've, you're in front of, some computer of some sort. Yeah. You're not exactly telling an engineer what to do in a studio. No, quite, quite. So Dan, what would, what would be your sort of first answer to that question? How to become a better producer? I think something that often comes up for me is, is I'll often work with people who perhaps have the technical skills to do whatever aspect of production they're trying to do. Yep. Um, but, but haven't yet learned how to really listen which mm. kind of feeds into Isaac's answer there. That, you know, it's, it's this this capacity to be able to almost listen past your own prejudices yeah. and, your own, and really yeah. hear what's going on in your reference tracks and, and what's going on in your, in your own production. Yeah, yeah, I think absolutely. it's really easy to be kind of um, sort of uh, taken away by the beauty of a riff you've just made or a pattern and be really mm. happy with it. Yeah. Actually to the flaws and the mistakes or things you really need to work on. Yeah, yeah. 100% I think yeah developing your ear is huge um, I mean I I sort of can definitely vouch for that from my personal experience I, and I would even say that it was only really when I started mastering 
um, professionally that I think my ears were f- went to. I, I kind of thought I was confident enough to start mastering, so I clearly thought. I can hear everything I need to hear. But actually, it was only when I really started mastering that I suddenly was hearing mix. And I think that's, you're always hearing more. There's like, it's, um, I, I, I would imagine that, you know, the most elite producer, you know, whoever it is, is, is always going to like learn to hear something different every time. You can never really hear enough of what's going on. But the more that you develop that, the more that you really try and pick out aspects of every part of a mix, of every part of a melody, every part of a song, um, yeah, that's that's got to help, right? I think there's a mix of um, confidence that needs to come with mm. experience. Yeah. To, be, to, to Dan's point of uh, being able to hear. But I, there's also... Um, kind of uh, like like listen to your own voice. You might not like the sound of your own voice when you hear it uh, in recording, yeah. but if you listen to it enough, you can get used to it. And hearing your own music on a recording, you're always going to be critical of musical aspects of it, and it's much harder to hear like the whole yeah. forest for the trees. Yeah. You know, it's just a big picture. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes I think taking, like, do the recording... Um, get get the composition down and then actually step away from it for a bit sometimes yeah. helps because your ears just get a bit too used to kind of how it sounded in the compositional stage and perhaps I mean look some it, I, I, another thing I think is that perhaps what works one day is not going to work the next because sometimes I write with sound design front and centre so I'm arranging and thinking about the ensemble mix at every stage of songwriting but sometimes you won't so I think just kind of figuring out what your methodology is for this particular track, what your feeling is for this particular project, and then kind of going, do I need to give myself a little bit of a breather here, come back to this tomorrow so I can hear it more, you know? Yeah, I mean, when we think about how the, how the brain works, you know, the brain suffers from fatigue. It's, you know, our ears suffer from fatigue. Yeah. We sit there and try and do something for too long. We, we biologically start to hear it differently than it actually is. And just being right. aware of that, yeah. knowing that stepping yeah. away for 15 minutes is actually going to make you connect with your music better. Better, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and also loud volumes. I mean, it's, it's um, the, the longer I'm in this business, the quieter I mix, if you see what yeah. I mean. Because when I was younger and more inexperienced, I just loved hearing it really loud, you know, like it was thrilling and exciting. And you're like, I made this. Um, but actually, you're not hearing it as well in most yeah. cases. Uh, and and on the same same sort of um, token, uh, your the room you listen to or the equipment you listen on is important. I, I'm, I usually say to people, you don't need to spend hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars on third party plugins. If you know how to use them and you want to, they can make everything. They, you know, they, they're incredible. I love I love having all these plugins, but you don't need to to write good music or to produce good music, but what you do need to be able to do, 100%, you have to be able to hear accurately what you're making. Yeah. If you're writing it in, and, and you're trying to do a mix down in a cathedral, it's in, it would be impossible to get a good mix out of that. Yeah, and, and part of that is being aware of where people are likely to be listening to what you're doing. Because that true. makes it yeah. Yeah. And particularly nowadays when we've got this weird dichotomy of people listening on their phone or in a club. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Trying to produce that's going to work in those both those environments is bafflingly difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's like yeah. so. What do you do? You mix oh, in mono, or, or you know, it's like 
I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. I think just diversity. Taking you know, mm. for me, it's taking my mix to as many different spaces as I can. Yeah. Mixing it on headphones, mixing it on the the Apple speakers, mixing it on my good monitors. Just yeah. trying it in environments, and then trying to get a happy medium, yeah. knowing that you're never going to get it perfect. Mm. Mm. But then, what loudness do you sort of master it to as well? I suppose that's a slightly different question. But um, you know, it's like Spotify. Uh, you know, I understand tends to stream at about minus thirteen luffs. This is a slightly. This is a very tangential conversation. If you're not interested in mastering, really? you can switch off now. <laughs> come come back in two minutes. But um, yeah, it's like you know. And then clubs want it much louder yeah. to compete with other tracks. I mean, there's uh, this is an interesting subject. This kind of very split and very different um, ways of, of enjoying the same song. Because the, the one thing that, that has gone now, or for most people, is that kind of nice middle ground, good quality hi-fi system at home. Yeah. People are generally listening on mono, either yeah. a phone or a you know, laptop speaker. Uh, to, to put a different spin on the same conversation, um, when I worked on stuff for TV, you know that you're going to be really low. Your volume's going to be very low. Right. So yeah. there's an aspect of actually mixing for low volume, which is you have, uh, you, you know, if, you're, if your volume's that low, the bass signal doesn't travel, right? You, yeah. you need a certain amount of amplitude to get those larger waves out. So it's actually a bass-heavy mix is better for low volumes uh, okay. as opposed to... So, you know, that's, it, that's a great question of, Know your audience. Know what you're playing it for. Yeah, yeah. I also think part of becoming a better writer and producer and all that is also know what is the focus of that song at that time or that track. Yeah. So it's like, what's the point of this right now? What's the point of the song? What is the heart of it? What's the what? What do you need to focus on when you're yeah. producing? Yeah. You can get caught up on all sorts of. You know, yeah, things so that aren't as important. Are you kind of saying? I mean, I think I know what you're saying. Correct me if I'm wrong. So it's like it's like if you start a track with an intention or a vibe or a kind of a character in mind, that, like it's quite easy to then go, oh yeah, but I do like that. I wonder if I could put a bit of that in it. I wonder if I, you know, I wonder if I could borrow from this and that. And, and sometimes that can really work, but you can also lose focus. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, like you can, you know, you can take a great song, you know. Um, like Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. You can take this great song. Yeah. It's a perfect song. Yeah. It's been done a hundred times and it's fantastic. Yeah. And Jeff Buckley version, just singing and an electric guitar yeah. is transcendent. Mm. And you, then you can also make a version that's overly orchestrated and mm. has, you know, all these bells and whistles on it. And it, it might not, it might not keep the source material intact and communicate the emotion as strongly. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I mean, I personally have never enjoyed one of these kind of or orchestra does Pete Tong records kind of things that, that have been coming out recently. They're doing, mm -hmm. uh, I think they did a, uh, well, they've done Ronnie size orchestra and, and there's loads of stuff. I'm, my brain's blank. I haven't had enough sleep, but yeah, it's like, I don't necessarily want club classics or club hits to be, interpreted on it on an or in an orchestra I, I that loses all of the magic for me yeah yeah exactly 
Right. And and what you know, a lot of those things that like you said weren't mixed in a big studio. They, no, they didn't yeah. have all the stuff, but they yeah. but they have a certain amount of magic from yeah. some yeah. some limiting that occurred and some compression that occurred somewhere. And that magic is what I'm talking about. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like yeah. like right now in trap music, there's a lot of people trying to uh, emulate these like this high hats compression that's going on. And, and it turns out what it was, was like an FL studio. Some people were putting the limiter and another limiter and another limiter and that's just right. like cranking up hi hats. Right. And now everybody's trying to redo that in a studio setting. But the, the truth is, it's just like a bunch of limiters just making <laughs> something as loud as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and it works. Yeah. It works. for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I suppose, um, you know, you don't have to necessarily, I wouldn't say, to become a... To be, if you're thinking, how can I become better at this thing we do called producing, uh, it isn't necessarily going to be to do with the equipment that you don't need to go out and buy. You don't need to spend a load of money, but you do have to do that kind of work internally. Like, it, it, it's a lot of it, you know, you can't just spend your way to being good at this. You have to put yeah. some time in. You have to develop your personal, um, your personal kind of um, skills, I suppose, soft skills. Uh, I think that's always the risk as well that you, you know buying things to make up for the fact you haven't quite mastered something. Right, and that happens quite a lot. You know, if, you, if, you, if you've got one piece of equipment and you're replacing it with another, you yeah. want to ask yourself why you were unhappy with this otherwise professional piece of gear. Yeah, and often it's because you haven't spent the time really, yeah. really learning yeah. another yeah. new shiny thing around the corner. Right. I mean, that's the story of my life, probably. But I mean, it's a, it's a very uh, addictive thing. But I mean, yeah, ex exactly. But you you do have to just kind of take some a lot of responsibility for it yourself, um, you know. And I think another thing that's that's so good nowadays about this learning this process uh, is just the amount of tutorials that are online. And some of them are a load of nonsense, to be honest. So, I mean, I, it's worth checking the comments and making sure everyone's not slagging it off because I've seen some awful ones. But there are so many tutorials on almost any aspect of the craft that it's just, I mean, YouTube's like an amazing free um, kind of course, really. It's brilliant. Yeah. You know, what I think makes what makes art and music interesting is the expression of one of, of a either collective group of people or a person. And the truer I think that expression is, the more interesting it is uh, generally to me. Yeah. So yeah. in line with that, the more you can sound like you, the more you can find out what it is that you like and pursue and can yeah share so how do you do that how do you do that how do you how do you how do you learn by emulating great you know producers or great writers as you in your first example but also how do you develop that inner voice your your own voice uh, you know what's the what's the method um it, the way that i'm the way that i see it is like you emulate to learn Mm -hmm. and to digest that material and your just your act of selecting what to emulate yes. is leading you towards your road you know if yeah. you always pick jonathan wilson tracks to try and recreate like that's what you like and that's a yeah. genre that you're your way down yeah um so in in my mind that's that's like that that is how you form your own vocabulary yeah 
Because no matter what, you're not going to be a Montauban. If you try and recreate a Montauban as much as possible, yeah. you, you won't be him, but you'll have some of his vocabulary, and then you will you will rephrase and say things your own way. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. hopefully you'll create your own, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, can, I can totally, I can get that. I think, um, I mean, I've spent kind of the last, well, I spent about eight months uh, really trying to recreate it because it's a difficult, I, like I think I wanted to learn, I wanted to, to teach myself. I was trying to recreate how to make new music sound like the records that were coming out of Lagos, Nigeria, 1984, 1985. It's yeah. such a hard thing to get right because they were making what we would class as mistakes or yeah. studio errors, or they were using equipment wrong, or they hadn't read the manuals. Or, 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 like, I mean, they were also absolutely amazing. Like, you know, it's not an insult to them at all, but it's just that there wasn't this kind of wealth of information about what things, you know, just, just, it, it just happened to be a magical time. And trying to recreate that in the studio taught me a lot, but it's, and I think you, I did end up coming up with stuff that it, it is in the end kind of my my take on it because it's i didn't manage to get the it sounding as authentic as i hoped really but that's okay yeah i think i think one of the errors is really easy to make is to assume there is this kind of perfect level of production that whatever it is you're doing yeah there is, there is a perfect way of doing it and i think often there's not no and if you're listening to and the things you're trying to emulate are diverse enough or broad enough yeah. then you'll find Right changes so dramatically in different situations, different contexts, yeah. that your own voice comes out of kind of navigating that and finding the yeah. thing that yeah. works for your, your your imagination and creativity. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. So I suppose that takes a bit of pressure off, right? Because you don't yeah. have to put all that pressure on yourself to like, am I am I unique enough? You know, am I am I original enough? Yeah, I think the flip side of that is that there are. There is a degree of technicality which you can get wrong all right. There are certain things that if you, if you just don't get or yeah. just aren't attempting, you're not going to be able to achieve this kind of almost sort of higher level thinking about how things fit together. Yeah. So that's kind of the balance of going, yes, I, can, I, I understand the technicality, but it's not geared towards this one perfect outcome. Yeah, well, okay, let's, let's investigate that a bit then because you can, I mean, Louis Armstrong famously said there's only two types of music, good and bad. Um, you think sometimes melodies chords don't sound good right they, they, they just aren't pleasing but in production i would say that there are probably examples somewhere that you could find of what should be a bad chord progression sounding good in a song um you know uh, it, there's a lot of music particularly electronic music that really is just noises so you couldn't you say well there's like people criticize it so well, there's no melody there's you know and it's like well no that maybe there isn't but there's a way of putting almost anything together to make it sound good i mean one of the things that i've always tried to do and uh, as a sort of a to, to avoid the trap of having 150 unfinished projects i've always said finish everything and i don't finish everything but i try because you learn something from closing a, a, each process and saying i've got that i've taken that as far as i could take it you know like i think i've just made about three points in one there so fair enough <laughs> you didn't um didn't catch them all but yeah it's like that i don't know that's a huge i mean that that is a that's another huge incredibly good uh point in how to how to become better yeah. finish what you what you start yeah you know? yeah 
because you know you might be good at like putting together some beats you might be good at making a baseline yeah what are you what's your goals with the track can you get it to the finish line like that yeah you got to be able to do that too right because we're not we're not talking about session musicians we're not just you're not just trying to be the best drummer you can be mm-hmm. or the best bassist yeah. you can be so yeah wicked your beats are dope great but if you can't make the rest of it as good then you're as weak as your weakest link yeah i think this feeds into another thing i would say that is really helpful is learning to collaborate learning to work with other people so if you're if you're not great at something if your melodies aren't great or whatever why not engage with other people who you respect and think are cool and yeah. and have strong points yeah. and in that process of working together you learn off each other and you improve the different aspects yeah. you might not be as strong at yeah. I mean, we, we've all come across sort of records where there's one instrument or one part of it that's just not very good and the rest of it's cool yeah and it's, it's they haven't listened again to themselves to go actually I, i'm not good at that sort of thing i haven't i haven't learned that yeah I've, I've certainly i've certainly done that myself rather than asking people who are better just to come and do it i think oh they might take a long time or you know and yeah like reach out yeah. i think um you can actually quite commonly um just contact people who have done it done something really well and say how did you do that quite often no matter how successful these people are especially now with probably a bit more time on their hands um they're quite happy to to discuss these things I've certainly asked, um, you know, l- much bigger artists how they achieved a certain sound. Um, and, yeah, you th- people are often very happy to kind of share their wisdom. Yeah. Just that, that act of having someone else listen to what you're doing as well is very helpful. Yeah. Getting, you know, getting a fresh pair of ears. Yeah, and, it's and hard again, to find. Mastering, you know, one of the great benefits of, of getting someone else to master your stuff is really that they're a different pair of ears in a different room. Yeah. And that itself can be really helpful. You know, I, I, I know some mastering engineers who are fantastic and work professionally, but don't master their own stuff because actually they, they admire that process. Yeah. Of, of kind of yeah, yeah. yeah. I find even having a, yeah, playing for someone else or uh, having another set of ears, the act of having someone else listening to something you've worked on, you, you, I can work on something for hours. Then when I play for someone, now that they're in the room, I hear it completely <laughs> differently. <laughs> you yeah. know, and I'll just be like, oh, oh, hold on a second. Yeah. You know, it's funny how how that changes your framework. Um, definitely. And how you see it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But that, I, I would also say don't be put off by people's reactions too much because people can be quite close to you and maybe not get it or they just, you know, one person's reaction isn't necessarily the barometer of, society's yeah. response you know so don't don't over emphasize the, re- the response of your yeah. nearest and dearest because they might just not get it or they might just not be interested in that particular style or having a bad day and that's down to confidence again isn't it if you've got the confidence to go you didn't like this bit but actually i do think it's really good yeah that kind of self kind of dialogue is very useful yeah absolutely what what can we speak to in terms of uh genre wise that might be important maybe just kind of getting more stuff out there maybe um i i just think it's my it comes down to in a sense the ten thousand hours kind of stuff just yeah putting in the time yeah that's a little bit of that you you can't get away from that can you i mean and and listen there are some producers who just have a gift and they they come straight out firing amazing stuff out um but I also feel that that's a 
possibly even a bit of a myth. I, I'm sure that these guys have studied hard. You know, it's just that I, I always think if someone's like 25 and re re released an amazing album, then they're like like Mozart, like virtuosos. But they've probably been doing it at college since they were 15. So it's yeah. like, you know, I didn't start till I was 25, 26. So it's, you know, it's just if you've done that 10,000 hours, um, you've got a very good shot of being fairly decent at it. Um, so, but I, that also isn't to say that you shouldn't be putting stuff out and you can't make really good music if you're far less experienced because you definitely can. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a degree of kind of learning to use your, your time well, yeah, regardless of yeah, what level you're at. Yeah, you know, it's very, it's very easy to procrastinate, or very easy to kind of think you haven't got the time or life to get in the way, etc. But yeah. I think people who do this stuff very well are often people who the moment they have whatever capacity they have to produce yeah. can get straight into doing it to the best of their capacity. Yeah, absolutely. And, and perhaps just avoid kind of the, 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 the distractions that can come along with club culture and, and so on. I mean, certainly when I started out, producing was sitting in a room with a couple of mates and basically get like smoking weed really and pressing some buttons on a computer. Now, that's fine. That's fine when you're young. I mean, I'm not endorsing, I'm not advocating whatever your position on drugs is, whatever. But um, I'm just saying it's a reality for a lot of young producers, right? Young DJs. That's, this is the world we live in. Um, but that is fine, but it isn't going to make you as productive. If, if, you're, if your goal is to be a better producer, then, you know, consider what you need to do to get your focus really in, you know, um, sharp. Fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, like like food, you are what you eat, you are what you work on, you are what you focus on. Yeah. Um, so by being selective in what you choose to work on yeah. is yeah. how you can progress. Right. So yeah. is there I, an element to it where, you know, if, if to, in order to become a better producer, we've talked about collaborating, reaching out to people, uh, emulating things that you, you love, co compiling your influences so that you kind of, um, you know, piece together your own voice through your influences. Um, what about finishing that? What about the kind of um, after touch, if you like, after the process? So you've made something, but you're not necessarily going to be a better producer if people aren't hearing you in the right way, you know? Like, I'm sure there are really, really talented people out there who just go, oh, I did a new song and put it on SoundCloud, didn't tell anyone about it, you know? It's like... Yeah. So there's an element of it where you really also have to understand that this is an industry where you need to be everything. You need to be your own salesman, salesperson, sorry. Um, you need to do marketing, you need to do promotion, you need to reach out to people, you need to be confident to say, I made this, I'm proud of it. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one, one thing I've, you know, this, this whole sort of doing everything, being, being the marketing person, being the salesperson, all this stuff is very useful. But there's also the other side, some people simply aren't good at that stuff. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the flip side is, is knowing, you know, something I've learned along, along my journey is knowing where my work sits in the kind of wider sphere of the genre I'm working whatever so yeah. I, I know you know I really hate producing something and then it's sitting on my computer forever right so yeah. knowing yeah. you know even even if it's a tiny local label or you know a local promoter or just someone to go you know what you're you're at my level will you do something with this yeah. and kind of, again yeah. reaching out to people and making sure that there feels like you've achieved something yeah. with a step 
definitely. Yeah, I think I, I think it's easy to to also think. Oh, I, I, I just hesitate. I don't know. I don't know if that label's big enough, or I, I don't know if if I'm going to get the exposure I want from this, or maybe I should maybe I should have done that. I, you know. I think that you, at some point you just have to go, I, I have to, we make this music to share it. Yeah. So don't be afraid, I guess, to share yeah. it. Yeah. When, when you feel it's ready. But also know, know when it's ready. It ain't easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah, I think that's, the, that's what it comes down to, right? It's just not easy. It takes a lot of work and a lot of passion. You've got to, you know, if you're doing this, you're doing it because you love it. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah, you, goals and, you, and aspirations you have we all to can love have, it. But. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. you have to love doing it because if you don't, this industry will yeah. will will jade you quickly. Um, I want to. We're, we're going to wrap up because it's been a really interesting conversation. Uh, I just want to. The final thing I want to ask is 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 how important do you feel that workflow changes to your workflow, experimenting with different workflows, is to developing your craft? I would say very important. Um, yeah, yeah, for me, um, experimenting with different ways of working, different different types of things I can do is fundamental. And I, I, right. I, I think partially because it's a, a way to keep being inspired because you keep coming up against new barriers, new things to, to sort of work against. But I yeah. also think it just, it just helps you develop a more, I guess, holistic mm. approach to, to the work you're doing. And I think that's vital. Yeah. Isaac? I, it's interesting. I think there's a part of having a standardized workflow, like, yeah. a, you know, a studio space, things you know really well, software you know well, that kind of stuff that I think is good to normalize and know well. And then that frees you up to experiment with, with the actual music itself or the production itself. So, yes, I can see that. Um, I think it's good to really like know know some things dive deep yeah like know all the plugins that come with the if it's ableton or logic like learn that stuff deeply yeah you know uh, learn your software that you want to use yeah and then at a certain point it's good to then you 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 know when you change and try something new then you already understand it because yeah. it's using the same vocabulary. You have the same transferable same knowledge. Yeah I, I, yeah. I think that would be, I think I agree completely with that. I think for, for me, uh, I think you need to spend enough time with one workflow, one initial workflow that, that just feels right for you. And then once you've re, once you've understood it enough, then you can start changing. If you start changing your workflow because you didn't write a great song first time, then I think you're just, kind of you're you're risking that kind of jack of all trades master of none um cliche from from coming coming about it's better to to once you've understood the fundamentals of really what's happening in workflow one then chopping and changing and trying new things with all the limitations can open up loads of cool new stuff it's like when we talked with um with Lee Sanders, you know, yeah, he would talk about how he, he built, like he would build a template when he started a new project. So yeah. we have his new composition template for a film or a TV show, you know, he would pick out his strings, his violins, his, he would have everything arranged yeah. so that picking the instruments didn't happen every day when he sat down. It was about writing. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of stuff, I think, uh, I think it's good to, to spend some time in those trenches. Definitely. See it that way. Yeah. I think maybe there's, there's a distinction between 
your sort of the tools of your workflow, the equipment you're using, the way you're setting things up, and maybe kind of concepts that are underpinning what you're doing. So I mean, I find it really useful sometimes to, to create rules for, for almost no reason to affect what I'm going to do. So, you know, today I'm not going to use chords or today it's right. going to be in three, four or whatever. Um, not necessarily to end thinking, great, that was fantastic, but to have pushed yourself into working in a slightly different way. And if you, if yeah. you're, again, if you're happy with your, these sort of the tools you work with, if that stuff's concrete, yeah. then you've mastered that enough to be able to go, all right, now I'll try this in, a, in an unusual way. Yeah. Yep, I would agree with that. Absolutely. I, I agree with that 100%. I think that's great. That's, okay. That's well, thank you very much, guys. That was a really good chat, I think. Hopefully it's been useful to you guys listening at home, guys and girls listening at home, of course. Uh, if there's any... we are, I mean, we are starting to hear from you now the, the kind of topics that you'd like us to, to, to um, discuss on future episodes. So we're going to investigate those and thank you for everyone that's uh, contacted us about that. If there's anything else you'd like uh, us to discuss or you have any ideas for us, uh, contact at mixedinkey.com or uh, we have a Facebook group for Captain Plugins, uh, which is a nice space to chat about all things music production, DJing and so on. Uh, guys, it's really hot where I am, probably where you are too. I hope you enjoy the weekend and I'll speak to you guys soon.